Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Wolfcast. Today, I'm joined by Urs Gupser. I just cannot get this stuff right. Anyway, an entrepreneur, technology enthusiast, and a futurist. Urs, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's a sunny day today outside, and it's warm. I'm glad the weather's probably better where you are than it is where I am. It's overcast and really kind of gloomy here. Anyway, it's great to have you on the show. I actually think it's interesting that we've finally met each other. I feel like over the past 20 something years, our paths have come kind of close to crossing, but we've just kind of missed each other at a couple of different places. Anyway, it's great to finally have you on the show. Can you give our listeners a little bit of your background for context? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's difficult to, to start because obviously it's quite, uh, there's a lot of variety to my background, but, sure. but fundamentally, I think I'm, I'm what you could call a, um, uh, or I started out as a, as a classical computer nerd. Um, I, I sometimes hate to say that, but it's in fact true, right? So I started, you know, programming when I was 12 years old and, and, and I made that into, into a career. Why do you hate to say that you were a nerd, though? Nerds are cool now, super cool. Well, actually. now they're cool. Back then, they were not cool, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, I tried to avoid that label, but it's uh, it's in fact what um, what I have been and what I'm still are uh, what I am still today to a certain extent. No, so I, I programmed my way through uh, through the financial service industry and went starting with banks, and I was uh, I was a very early I want to say a keen observer of of uh, of the various computer wars that we have seen, you know, versus you know eight bit and sixteen bit, but also between uh, between Apple and and IBM and and these things, and right. to the point where I was a big follower of uh, what Steve Jobs was doing, you know, back in the eighties, right, right, right before, right after he got kicked out of Apple, I started uh, looking at um, what he was doing uh, next, and at so next. his next. His next thing was next, exactly right. So next, and what was uh, your first computer? Do you remember? Oh yeah, that was a TRS uh, eighty. Yes. No, no, sorry, sorry, no, no. My first computer was um, a Texas Instruments TI ninety nine four A. Mine was a TRS eighty. That's why. I, that's why. I, that's why I was surprised. Oh, uh, no, no, because uh, we 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 had access to TRS eighties, but. Uh, but the Texas Instruments were were more accessible. I want to say. I don't even remember Texas Instruments making computers, but fair enough. Yeah, no, but it's it, it for me. So I went through this whole eight bit, sixteen bit, thirty two bit, um, right? At, at, and I managed to get a land a gig while I was studying computer computer science. I was managing to get a gig at UBS uh, because they were looking for developers on this new Next system, Next uh, programming Next step, right? The thing that Steve Jobs um, did next as when he left Apple right and um, and I was very enthusiastic and actually I got to meet Steve Jobs a couple of times when he came to UBS and pitched us here in Zurich he was quite often here in fact uh, because UBS bought uh, tons of those computers did they really I didn't know that yeah yeah we we had we had tons tons of them and um and for me it was it was like a paradise you know I could do uh, uh, I was working basically uh you know programming what i like to do on a, in an environment i like to do so i wasn't going into banking because i thought banking was cool no i went there because they had all the fancy computers they did and you know when i was at deutsche bank 
one of the smartest guys that I've ever worked with on the tech side came over from New York to be in Tokyo for about three or four months. And the dude was just really good. Like he was a Unix genius. He was a UI genius. He was just amazing at almost everything. And I remember asking him, why don't you go out and start your own company? Like you're really good at this stuff. And he said to me, fundamentally, he said, computer scientists like to solve big problems. And at, at a big bank like this, there are plenty of big problems to solve. Mm. And solving them with technology is what keeps me happy. I think there's, there's other interpretations of this, right? Um, you could also say computer scientists are just lazy. They, uh, and I don't mean this in a, in a negative way, right? But what I mean by that is they, they try to optimize everything, automate everything, you know, create things that are more, much more efficient than, than uh, the previous iteration of the same process. Right. So, you know, and, and it, you do it because uh, the worst thing that can happen to you as a, as, a, as a developer is that you have to repeat the same exact same again over and over and over. So you right. want to get this automated. Right? Yeah. When I was at Morgan Stanley, I think it was in 1994, I joined a team at at the firm called Fixed Income Research, and it was really just a fixed income only tech team. And I was meant to manage an entire floor of Sun Spark stations, Sun workstations, right? But I didn't know anything about Unix. So I was actually sent to New York to take a course. I can't remember the name of the course, but to learn how to be a systems administrator. And what it meant was when I came back, I mean, I knew all this stuff. I learned all this stuff. I bet that surprises you about me <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think like a hundred and something yeah. workstations. Say it again. Yeah. yeah. No, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit surprising, yeah. Oh, I'm a huge uh, geek. I just, maybe I don't look like one or maybe I don't sound like one, but I'm probably as big a nerd as you are. <laughs> don't, don't sell me short on that respect. But I remember like changing tape drives in the machine room. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I did that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I was very involved. I mean, and learning, learning that stuff actually changed my life, right? Because once I understood, I was always into tech. And once I understood like how they worked and managed that whole floor, it taught me about scale, right? It taught me about automation, yeah. which is why I'm mentioning this to you. And, and it changed the way I looked at the way technology could be employed at scale. We rolled them out. There were no workstations. There were no Spark machines or Sun machines at Morgan Stanley before we rolled them out in Tokyo. And that was awesome. That's great. Um, it's also, you know, one aspect that, that I, I have learned, maybe not the hard way, but it is something that, that um, I wonder about lately over the last couple of years, in fact, and that is the complexity that we now have in, in today's world with all this technology. It's just ever increasing, ever expanding. When we, when I grew up with, with computers and all that, it was, it was still very much a, an analog world, right? To, to the point where, well, you have to physically move stuff to engage with the computer, right? Whether it be, it be a floppy disk you had to shove in or you had you know, the magazine where you could type up some, some, uh, <laughs> some codes, um, there was still a lot more um, physical engagement and, sure. and and I hated it, right? You, you, I always wanted, okay, we have computers, so why is all this stuff still digital? Right. And now, uh, why is it all, still so analog, right? And But now we're at the point, and, and I don't know where the tipping point was, but, but the ubiquity of um, of computers, right, in your in your pockets, 
right? the mobile phones and all that they have just you know accelerated this this adoption of computers to to everyone right i mean yeah it's like i read there's like five billion mobile phones now on the planet something like that it's insane it's it's a huge number and with that i mean there's there's a whole bunch of things that that, that bother me right for for one there is the enormous digital divide that we're witnessing what is that mean? um no essentially you have you have uh, you know i look at my parents um i look at my my mom my mom cannot use a mobile phone and that you could say this is a maybe a generational uh change right that has happened but uh, you could also argue no this is a form of digital divide right where you have different uh sections in your in your society some can use the new technology and some simply can't and and it's it's a matter of how they grow up with it uh, and it's a matter of you know whether they are being taught or learned or or have engaged with technology in in the in the youth or or are eager enough to learn it right um so i think there is this could represent a dramatic change in society between the haves and the haves not in terms of uh, understanding what what computers do and 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 how to utilize them do you find that like your mom looks at what you do and thinks that it's kind of black magic yes exactly it is a bit like that i think a great technologist is almost like a great motorcycle rider and let me sort of finish the thought i remember when i took my motorcycle license in japan the guy who was teaching me was a motorcycle policeman and when he would ride it looked to me like there was no separation between him and the motorcycle it wasn't like he was driving it he was it and I yeah. aspired to get to that level of riding where like when he leaned, the bike was just part of his body, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I feel sometimes like a great technologist isn't programming the computer, but is somehow inside at sort of the machine level and feels like they're one with it. And that's the greatest kind of technologist, if that makes sense. And from the outside, the same way I looked at my motorcycle license teacher it's got to be the way your mom looks at you. Like, I don't understand anything that he's doing. I'll never mm -hmm. be able to achieve that. And it looks like magic when it's when mm -hmm. it's happening. Is that fair? Yeah, that's, I think, to, to a large extent, uh, you could classify it as such. It's, it's like magic, right? Um, but what do we do, right? Because computers, connectivity, it's all getting really, really complex. And a lot of people say to me, well, you know, as we move from 4G to 5G and then 5G to 6G, and as we have more compute power, because we're better at it, the system should get more stable. But I almost feel like it's, and again, it reminds me of being at Morgan Stanley. I can't believe I'm having all these thoughts today. But when I took over, when I took over somebody else's job, they had written some macros, really simple stuff, like in Visual, not even in Visual Basic, in Lotus 1, 2, 3. So imagine how basic they were. But when, when I took it over, it was like impossible to understand. It wasn't that complex, but it was somebody else's brain, right? Behaving yeah. in a certain way through software. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to rewrite the whole thing from scratch. I actually did it in Excel, which made it a thousand times easier. I just did visual basic macros. But anyway, it was a much better output. But the bottom line is his complexity was completely misunderstood by me. But as systems continue to get developed on top of each other, on top of each other, there's yes. so much stuff buried down in the bottom, yes. right? That it's got to be almost impossible to fix at some level or to understand. Is that also fair? 
it is fair. I mean, and this is exactly you, you just you just gave me a, a another trigger point here, and that is you know the complexity when you start to build on top of existing infrastructure or systems. Right. right. And I have a similar anecdote. I was um, I was a I was a Bank of America that was gosh that's a prime brokerage right at, right right. Uh, Equities Prime Brokerage, and we did. Um, I mean, it was, a, it was a, you know, it was a, an organization of about a hundred people, right? And and I was um, just coming off a job uh, as a project manager, and so I was hired as a as a consultant to uh, help out with uh, some of the scalability issues that they had. And and in fact, they had. Um, this is I, I will never forget this. I actually wrote a blog a blog post about it. So I came in and, and they said, okay, look, we, we have every day we have sort of a race against time because our, our, our backend processes, they take too long, right? So you have to do the end of day and then we, sometimes we don't, we, we cannot make it. Incidentally, I had a similar issue at City in, a couple of years later, but, but um, and it's because of, you know, the, the transaction volume has increased, right? So they had the same infrastructure, the same processes, but the transaction volume had increased this is, you know, equities trading on Wall Street. Right, probably dramatically all the systems, increased, yeah. Yes, when all the systems became more automated, right? You right. had you had DMA uh, trading. And so, uh, you know, I looked at this, right? And it was it was like 10,000 lines of pure C code. And and I, I really worked myself through it. Um, and it's, it was funny. There was a lot of copy-paste, copy-paste, copy-paste. You know, they, they were not even... Right? Back in those days, they didn't bother to just, you know, make this proper. There's a lot of copy paste, and so I worked myself through through the whole ten thousand lines of code to one wow. trying to understand what this thing does. And then when I got to the to the sort of to the last block, it it called the stored procedure in the database, and and so I went to look in in the database to see what is this stored procedure doing. Right. And the stored procedure undid a lot of the things that the code did before so to me that that it just it just tells me you know they gave up they just gave up they said okay we don't know what this does <laughs> they, they right? just said, we they just just said going, we're gonna let this run because we're not sure but yeah, by the time it gets exactly. to here we're just gonna erase it and start all over again oh my god exactly so they, they so they they re-implemented some of it in in store procedures in in uh, on the database directly that and is so to great. me it was like Wow, this is crazy. And so this is the this is the complexity, right? When when you deal with legacy systems and, and you try to figure out what they did and and they couldn't do it. And it's a question of, you know, do you wanna take the time and, and uh, investments or you know resources to invest into this and or or do you just go for the quick exit? Yeah, let me let me tell you another story that only you will understand. Okay, when I joined Citigroup, I was hired to fix their portfolio trading group. I was the head trader. I, I ran both the agency business and the, and the prop business, right? And the risk business. Now, because Citigroup, as you know, you worked there, right? And I'm not saying anything bad about any particular company, but just an experience that I had there. Because Citigroup was basically built by buying tons of little companies and trying to tape them together over a 25 or 30 year period of time a lot of the back-end technology was not compatible, so they had to build systems to kind of glue them together. So the risk PT system and the agency PT system were different. And they had a really hard time talking to each other. Literally, it was like one of them spoke Portuguese and the other one spoke French. It was just like 
I don't understand. Wakarimasen. It was just like they didn't understand each other. But sometimes we had to transfer positions from the risk book into the agency book and vice versa, right? If we were going to unwind trades in a specific way, we did a trade against the risk book. But sometimes all the, all the positions did not get transferred properly. <laughs> it was just insanity. Yeah, anyway. Been there. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Only you could understand that because most people yeah, yeah. don't know even what a risk trading book is. But anyway, fair enough. No, it's all the, it's, you know, and it's always the exceptions, right? It's, it's, um, I mean, I was at Deutsche, right? I was uh, supporting a team of like 40 traders. This is precious metals. You know, today, if I think about this, this is crazy, right? When I say this, right? But I, I sometimes we had exactly that. We had to, we had to um, feed our positions into a risk system. Right. And this was essentially, it was a, it was a flat file. Yeah. And, yep. and uh, that, that we generated, right? That, that they would later consume in the, in the risk system. Quite often, they just, for some reason, we just added mystery characters to that file, you know, either at the beginning or at the end. <laughs> and so I would literally edit the file. You know, first I didn't know what was happening, right? So we looked at the side, you know, took the file apart and said, hey, what's going on here? And then, and then once we, we, once I understood what the issue is, you know, I open up the editor and it's, it's binary, right? Yeah. So you need to know exactly which position you're going to remove that byte right. or whatever it was. So, dangerous. so I did that by, by hand, right? Save, uh, send it over and they processed it. Right. And today, you know, I look back and I, th- I did that in production, you know, this is, uh, you know, the <laughs> early 2000s, you, you could still do stuff like that. This was um, before we adopted SOX and, and all the new the new uh, regulatory schemes. But right. but yeah, so this was like um, you know you you basically fix stuff in production, right? That was uh, how we worked. It's pretty amazing to me though to look back on all this stuff, right? Because if you compare it to today, right? So back then, let, let me just give you my favorite example of this. When I joined Morgan Stanley in 1987, there was a computer room. It had three like IBM ATs or XTs on it. I literally had a 10 key, which you probably don't even know what that is, on my desk with a paper output. Literally like, you know, like Ebenezer Scrooge would have had in whatever that movie is, you know, and he'd just like press the numbers and the tape would print. It was unbelievable. And we had a five and a quarter inch floppy boot disk. Like you couldn't turn the computer on without the boot disk. So if somebody else had it, you couldn't use the computer. And if somebody lost it, it was punishable by death, right? So one day I just went to my boss and I said, look, I can be a lot more productive, like way more productive if I have one of these for myself. And he was like, okay. Morgan Stanley was great back then. Like they would spend tons of money on technology. So I was the first guy in my department, the first person actually in my department to have a computer on my desk. And again, it was like wizardry. Right, because I would finish work way before everybody else who was just like going six plus four plus 12 kind of thing on their desk. You'd hear the paper thing turning and I would just be right banging on my keyboard. But back then humans, I mean, individuals couldn't afford a computer like that. It was probably like five or $6,000. Yeah, And it was impossible to buy, right? But today, and again, it's kind of a fake comparison, right? Because for sure, over time, we know this just historically, technology just improves really fast, right? You know, my iPhone is probably more powerful than every computer that was on that floor, on the 38th floor of the Exxon building, times 10. Oh, yeah. Just my machine alone, right? And then (laughs) the M1 chip that runs our 
Apple, you know, our Mac minis, you know, could have run probably the space program. <laughs> it, it probably didn't need to be that powerful to run the space program. But in a way, they've kind of turned into like, and I remember when iPads first came out, what was it, 2010? Do I have it right? I can't remember. I think 2010, I think. Yeah, and I remember bringing one into the office, and once that happened, it was like, now you're using technology that was made for individuals in the yeah. office. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's actually a funny point because um, 2010, because you just bring me to another anecdote that I tell me, tell me. But uh, no, because, you know, we bought an iPad right before we went to Hong Kong. I moved from New York to Hong Kong with my family uh, for Citibank. So we did uh, for City back then. And we did something in, well, what I did in New York, we basically tried to, to re-implement that in, in Southeast Asia. Yeah. But so this big transformation program. But anyway, when I, when I uh, came to, to Hong Kong, it was like, it was a little bit like stepping back in time, you know, and, and I had my, my heart beats for Hong Kong. So, so I hope nobody gets this the wrong way. Right. But, but we had, um, you know, this was, this was um, um, pre-settlement. So, you know, post-trading, so middle office, back office activity, post-trading, uh, pre-settlement, uh, clearing operations, not pure operations. So when, when I started to work in that office, they had a, a single computer that was sort of not on the network. It was just there. And then I, and then I, uh, what is this computer for? And they said, oh, this is connected to the stock exchange. Right. Because, you know, this is how it works. You know, you, here's a floppy disk. You put that in this computer. And then at the end of the day, you download all the trades that Citi did oh, on the no. Hong Kong stock exchange. And you take that floppy disk and move it to another computer. And then we, from there, we actually, we actually upload it into our, um, into our global settlement system. Right. Right. I'm not surprised. And, and I looked at this and, and this was, this was partially what I was responsible for. And I would look at this, I was like, okay. <laughs> so what if, what if the, what if we run out of floppy disks? What if the connectivity to exchange fails? What if this computer gets hacked? What if we have a virus here? What if, what you if know, anything, the first what thing if somebody spills coffee in my mind, yeah, it just, I just started spinning up. It's like, oh my God, this is insane. We, we're, we're moving floppy disks around with, uh, with production, with, 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 with actual trades on them. Uh, trading. Yeah, with trades on them. Like, this is like as if we were back in the 90s and this was 2010. So, so and, and, and I think, you know, my point here is because you mentioned the iPad and, and yeah, so this is, this is the perfect example of, the, of, of consumerization of IT. Yeah. Right? It's how it's how now you have you have technology in consumers' hand that is much better, much further ahead than anything you can get in your in your company. Yeah. Right? Even the network. I mean, I have I have ten gigabit Ethernet here at home, right? And I have a much better. I mean, I only I could I could get up to one gigabit uh, uh, internet, but it's I only have two hundred megabit because now three hundred, I think. If I if I compare this to um, to what what I get at uh, in terms of bandwidth at work, they can never keep up with this. So consumers have today have much better technology than they ever had before. 
Yeah, and it's actually even easier to use. When I, you know, I haven't had a full-time job, right, since the end of 2011 when I was working at Macquarie Securities. And to be fair, the systems there, because it was a new business for them, the tech was actually not that bad, right? But again, it was like Dell computers running Windows XP. I can't remember anymore what it was, right? Because we never upgraded to Vista, if I remember correctly. Perfectly fine. And I'm not (laughs) slogging off Windows. It doesn't really matter to me, right? But again, if if you could see the room in which I'm sitting right now, right? I have technology here, two microphones, a mixer, the M1, a camera that shoots in 4K, a 65-inch television set, a green screen behind me. And like combined, this probably costs less than the two machines I had under my desk and the three monitors that were there. And it's way easier to use. And I maintain it and admin it myself. There's no IT team, and I'm 56. I'm not like it's like I'm 26, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's amazing, I think, and that's the transformation from. I mean, we even had Bernoulli boxes. I don't even know if you remember what those are. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember at Morgan the Stanley, storage, right? Bernoulli. But yeah, the yeah. consumerization of IT to me is fascinating, right? And I don't know what it's like at big companies anymore because I don't work there, but I do see people here, right? So where I work at TDPK all walking around with laptops. There are no computers on their desks. It's all laptops connected wirelessly. And again, because I'm at a phone company, the wireless connectivity here is four or 500 megabits up and down. It's it's insanity, right? Yeah, I can run a TV studio out of my office. Yeah, so very different. That's where we are now. Yeah. But but this also comes with, with, you know, in what we hinted at before, right? We have consumerization of IT, we have, but we also have digital divide. So not everybody in society will be able to do that. And, and then you have the, uh, the complexity of it all. You know, we're hiding a lot of this complexity, but, but when you have exceptions, which, which can happen, then it's, you're, basically, you're basically screwed. It's not like you can pick up a phone and say, hey, I have a problem with this and that. It's right. a really good point. And I just, you know, I just the other day, I mean, this is, um, th- this is something I, I still, I, I just, I'm, I'm still having this problem. I haven't, I haven't figured out how to address it, but it's a good, it's a good example is, uh, so, so we had, uh, you know, I don't know, we had, when we had our, we got our new car like two years ago and we, a month after that, we had to bring it in to fix something. Right. And, um, and so it was all on the warranty. Wonderful. And, and now, like like starting like a month ago, the, the company, the car company, sends me uh, a sort of a, a text message saying, "Oh, we have seen that you have an open, you have a balance with us for a repair that we did in 2019." What you owe them money, or they owe you money? No, they owe. I, they said that I owe them money, right? There's a balance, and they attached something, and then I looked at that, and it looks like, well, no, no. Um, somehow this got screwed up. So right. three items on that list were ours and they were all in the warranty. And then there was one item that was not ours. And, and now I don't have a number, right? I cannot call them, right? It's a text message. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't have an email, right? Or actually I do have, and I actually sent them an email. It's the only way I could contact them. Never heard anything back, right? Yeah. So, so what do you do as, as, as consumer? Right. I mean, that's get, the other side of it. This gets right. back to the complexity thing we were talking about before and the automation thing, right? 
again, a friend of mine booked a flight just before COVID and then had to cancel it because, you know, they couldn't fly. It was illegal to fly, right? The planes weren't flying. So went onto the website of the, of, of Air Asia, sorry to say, and it said, you know, all of the phone, the phone number here is no longer active. The only way to communicate with us is through text. And it's a bot. Oh, yeah. yeah so it's yeah. not even a human <laughs> on the other side. And it's like, you can call the bot and they say, please tell us your flight number. You know, whatever, TG65, whatever. That, that's actually Thai Airways. I don't remember what it is, right? Anyway, the process is so frustrating. Somebody thinks this is a good idea. But I think real humans yeah. don't think this is a good idea at all. And then... What if just the whole system goes down? Like, what if you lose your internet connectivity? Remember, yeah. at the end of the day, you have a phone line, like a POTS, right? A plain old telephone system line, a POTS line, yeah? I don't even know if anybody has one of those anymore. Like, I haven't had a phone in my home in a decade and a half. Yeah, similar. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I mean, at least that would work. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah um, it's... That's that's the I think that's what we're giving up, right? For for consumerization of IT and and all the amenities and the convenience that we have, if something goes wrong, and and it could be the internet connection, right? That just happens to go wrong, but it could right. also be because the internet is down. You have a, all of a sudden a, a process that stops cold. Yeah. Uh, what happens then, right? Then you have no backup. That is uh, that's a big challenge. It's a gigantic challenge. And I think we saw this happen a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember the name of the CDN that it happened to, but it literally put down, I think it was Pinterest and Amazon and some other really big companies yeah, yeah. just couldn't operate yeah, for a couple yeah. of hours. Do you, I can't remember the name. Yeah. I couldn't look it up. But again, if your connectivity goes down and your business goes down, it's problematic. But also just this idea that everything gets automated, uh, like you said, very convenient when it's working smoothly. But when it's not, there's got to be someone there to call, no? Yeah, that's a, one of the things that I, I miss in some cases. But I, but I understand, you know, why we have rationalized all this. It's precisely to to uh, you know to bring down the prices to to create devices that are that are now so cheap that are more powerful than than the, uh, the computers <laughs> that were used in the Apollo space program. Yeah. Right, so so you have there's a balance somewhere, right? So you have to give away a lot of this. Uh, what you could do in the past, just call someone up. You have to give that up, and in exchange, you get a really shiny device that does a lot of stuff. But if there is an exception, right, it's an issue. I'm a big believer that that companies that provide like human touch style services where there is somebody on the other end of the phone are going to be considered luxury goods. And that those yeah, companies, yeah. that people will pay extra for that face-to-face -face connection. And, you know, it's like your 24-hour Amex guy or gal. You've lost your card. You're on vacation. I don't want to talk to a bot. I want to talk to a, an intelligent, educated, you know, lady somewhere who tells me exactly what right. I need to do and exactly what the process is. Don't make me press one for this and press two for that. I've got a problem. Yeah, exactly. I've got a gold card or whatever it is, or a platinum card. Give me some service, yeah? Because And I think those companies yeah. will really differentiate themselves. But I think it's standard, 
Right, for technology to replace services, just like an ATM. You can see it behind you. I don't know what those letters stand for. But, but if I can get to a bank teller or somebody who works in the bank, I'm going to get much better service. So it automates something that's really useless, just like give me cash is okay. But when I transfer large sums of money, I don't want to do it at a machine. I want to talk to a human and make sure that everything's okay. I had something happen to me once in Japan where I had to pay for something for a couple hundred thousand and I paid it to the wrong account. Like the numbers were actually a real account, but it was the wrong account. And I never got the money back. I didn't know how. That's that's concerning. Uh, That'd be a big issue. Yeah, and how do you go to your friends and say, "Um, I just paid $2,000 to the wrong account. Can you help me? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It just seems so stupid. Anyway, it'll be super interesting to see where this technology takes us. But I do think we're at this point where, like, like you said earlier, you know, I said a great technologist was like one with the tech and one with the machine. And then you went a little bit further and said, you know, technologists are fundamentally lazy, not in a bad way, but in a good way, because they want to automate all these processes. And I think that as we watch everything get automated bit by bit, there's going to be a backlash. Because, mm-hmm. and not necessarily in a bad way, but people will revolt against this idea that I just want to talk to another human. Yeah. yeah. Because a machine doesn't empathize with you. Right. Well, it's for me. It's it's yes. I mean, that's that's certainly one aspect, right? But I I also feel like I'm I'm becoming a slave to the machine or a slave to the process, right? Because it's you know with, with my example, right? With um, with the the car company that sends me uh, just uh, an automated, you know. Yeah, it's like why do I have to with, deal with this at all? This has nothing to do with me. Exactly. So so now it's my problem, right? And and uh, so I feel like I'm being <laughs> enslaved here by by technology to a certain extent. And I think for us um, and for for developers and product managers and uh, for everyone that has to that deals with, with creating new services and new products, we have to be very much aware of this. And and it's not just that we have to be aware of the fact that you know we should never try and come across as uh, oh yeah look it's a machine that's handling all this um it's also we need to take into account that you may lose your internet connection you know Th- there has to be a recourse somewhere right, right? You, you, yeah. you have to be able to to complete it for example if 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 something goes wrong with your connectivity right um or, or if there is another exception and so we need to we need to build that in right when we do when we design these new products and services yeah. I mean, look, when I first started, when I first started podcasting, you know, my connection would sometimes go down. So I'm in the middle of a conversation yeah. with somebody and it would just go away. So it does impact your business and it's going to continue yeah. to impact people's businesses going forward. And I think all the things, all the little, all the little points that we've discussed, whether, whether it's the complexity on top of complexity or the automation or the lack of sort of machine empathy but also the digital divide that you mentioned to all of these things we need to be very cognizant about. Otherwise we're going to end up, I think in some sort of dystopian future. And you're right. There has to be recourse if things don't work, but also this slavery to the machine in the sense that you paid your bills somewhere in there inside their system. And it's not just your car company. It could be any kind of company just spits out an exception and goes, Oh, let's charge this guy some money. And most people won't even notice. They'll just go 29.99. I don't care. They pay it. But now it's on you to fix. And that's weird, right? In other words, imagine in the old days, right? You go into a bakery, you buy a cake, you buy, you know, some donuts or whatever. 
you pay the $14 and then you leave. You would never walk back into that bakery and have the and have the bakery owner go, or so you want me $3.99 for a cookie that you that you bought. You're like, I never eat cookies. I'm allergic to cookies. Yeah, but you owe me $3.99. It's just a weird experience, right? Yeah. yeah. Because it's automated. Yeah. It's on you now. By text. It's like two o'clock in the morning, you get a text. You owe $17.99. When did that happen? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. we should be aware of all these things, yeah. Yeah, it leaves a sour taste in in, in customers and, and and customers. Yeah. Anyway, a lot of really great topics. Really great topics. I don't want to take up any more of your time today. I feel like we could go on forever. I really appreciate you oh, yeah. doing this, source. Yeah. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs>